Hey, pastors, we know you love your clerical shirt because of what it means, but how does it feel? Under all those vestments, is it hot and sticky? Is it too tight, too loose, or just not comfortable? Wicking Vicar has the solution for you. The Performance Clerical Shirt, featuring four-way stretch to let you move and moisture-wicking fabric to keep you cool. Plus, it's machine washable and wrinkle-resistant. Visit wickingvicar.com and treat yourself to more stretch, more movement, and easy care. The Performance Clerical from wickingvicar.com. wickingvicar.com. Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks to follow Paul's words from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony in Christ through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, District President of the Minnesota North District. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continue our study in the small catechism with the fifth and sixth commandments. You shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. Well, it seems pretty black and white. Seems easy. What, what's the problem and why do these keep coming back into the life of the Christian and within his church? Why is this such an issue? We'll dig into that today. So dust off that little blue or maroon catechism, Christ-filled, trusty little book for God's gifts already. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Every day we hear from people around the world. So we want to hear from you. Even if you don't have a question, where are you studying the book of Concord with us? Digging into the riches of God's grace in Christ for you. It can happen anywhere. Even if you're near St. Louis or you're in the middle of nowhere in America, send us an email. KFUO at KFUO.org. We would love to hear from you. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this day, we welcome Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio. Pastor Meyer, welcome to Concord Matters. It's good to be with you. Pastor, uh, tell us what's going on in Ohio. You have some really neat ministry opportunities, not only in your congregation, but also with some immigrant congregations. So give us a rundown on what's going on. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good things happening. We uh, we're, Tonight, we're going to be getting started back with our study of the Augsburg Confession here at Hope. We've been working our way through that for a few years now. And uh, we're also partnering with uh, some of the Ethiopian congregations down in Columbus. We've started an organization that's called the Central Ohio Lutheran Immigrant Mission. And the goal of this is to continue the ministry that's already started uh, with the uh, the Ethiopian congregations, but also uh, to be able to reach out to Somali people. So there are Somalis in large numbers mm. that have come to Columbus, and it is nearly impossible to go to the countries from which they have come and try to share the gospel because you'll just get killed in trying to do so. But they've come here, and there are all kinds of opportunities here to be able to share the gospel with them and be able to uh, help them to know the good news of Jesus and bring them into a church and help them because when they when they do come to Christ, uh, they do get cut off from their communities and they do face hostility as a result of that. And so 
we want to be able to walk with them and to you know give them the physical support that they need in addition to uh, spiritually feeding them. So yeah, a lot of exciting things. And if anybody's interested, just just uh, find me and, and I'll be glad to share with you. And that's a good reminder, you know, in parts of America that people wouldn't naturally think are, are, uh, are welcoming immigrants. Minnesota has a very strong and prominent Somalian, uh, uh, um, uh, what you call it, population as well. Right. And it's amazing because here in the district office, one of our, our secretary's husband works in pest control. And so he does a lot of work with apartment complexes mm-hmm. and everything. And he works with Somalians all the time. Yeah. And one of his comments, which is just great for us to hear, he goes, man, they are just great people. They're trying to do what's best for their families, very family oriented and very much so uh, loving to be in America, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said there's he's gone in homes where they have the American flag hung up, yeah. yet, you know, all those kind of things. So just a reminder that that. You know, these are ones that Christ of whom died for. Yeah. And so we how can we reach out to them? And and not only in Ohio, we pray for them, but also in our own communities. Uh, Pastor, tell us how your fa- how's your family doing? Oh, doing well, doing well. Good. My uh, daughter's enjoying volleyball and my uh, my oldest son is uh, in his first year at Concordia, Chicago. And uh, the younger two are uh, getting way too big, way too fast. So, Yeah. <laughs> Well, Lord, have mercy. So, Pastor, on that note of family, first of all, I encourage you, our listeners, to continue to pray for, uh, well, Pastor Meyer and his family, but also to pray for your own pastor and his family as he continues to serve faithfully, our teachers and other parish professionals, um, to continue to pray for them and their family as they join with their uh, parents in ministry. At the same time, we hear in the small catechism, the small catechism, and I know Dr. Aaron has written about that, that I may be his own. He speaks about how the small catechism is the most prominent book besides the Bible used in Lutheran churches. And I think there might be a little bit of a misprint. On page 13, reminder to listeners, we are using the Luther small catechism with explanation by CPH from 2017 version. You can use any version you wish, but that's just what we'll be reading from. There might be a misprint on page 13 because right below the Ten Commandments, it says, as the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. I think Luther might have gotten this wrong. It should say, as the pastor exclusively teaches on Wednesday nights to 6th, 7th, and 8th graders. Pastor, was Luther wrong? Of course he was. Yeah. No, <laughs> no it's, it is, uh, it's one, of the, one of the flaws that we have fallen into is assuming that the pastor is the only one that is to teach these things. And primarily, the faith is taught in the home. And so when parents make it a priority to teach these things to their children, the children hear it at the home, and then it's reinforced at church, and it's reinforced in confirmation. I mean, that's one of the, that's what confirmation means. It means strengthening. It, it is not giving them the first glimpse of the faith, but it's strengthening the faith that's already been established and has already been taught in the home. So yeah, parents, you've got a great opportunity to talk about these things with your children at home. In fact, we have an insert in our bulletin that we put together each week that has the daily lectionary readings. And each week we have a a memory verse from the upcoming readings for the next week's Sunday and next Sunday's readings, but then also a section of the catechism. And we encourage the 
families, the individuals even, go ahead and, and memorize that, talk about that, let that be part of the focus for your devotions for the week. And it's just a reminder, it's not meant to be hitting people over the head with a hammer, but we begin our study of the small catechism with Reverend Dr. Leonard Payton, who speaks explicitly about it really is that simple. Pull out your catechism, open it up before your kids go to bed, or even you and your wife or your, your husband before you go to bed and just recite a portion of it mm-hmm. and pray. There's a prayer right in there you can pray and go to bed and go to bed with good cheer. Does it say that? No, go to bed instantly, I think. Um, <laughs> but to go to get bed in peace because the Lord has done this or you start your day that way. I'm not saying that I have done this perfectly, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming Pastor Meyer would agree, um, but it is that simple to be in that word of God every single day. So pastor, stop talking about it and let's just start doing it. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So we are beginning with the fifth commandment. I will do this as like in confirmation class. I will recite it each piece and, and we'll hear the word of God. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. Pastor, the first glance at this, and actually fifth and sixth commandment, it's pretty black and white. Do you think, well, we should be able to figure this out because it's just logical not to do these things. But this is, Luther breaks this down in a beautiful way that it doesn't let us wiggle away, wiggle through this, um, saying, well, I've never murdered anyone, therefore let's get to the sixth. Right. What are your first thoughts? Yeah, I I like to use the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments as a mirror you know, as, as we're taught to do, and you can mm. go through and, and, you know, the first four commandments, it's pretty obvious where you go, yeah, I've kind of, I've messed that up. I failed at that. And you get to the fifth and you think, cool, I've never murdered anybody. I'm good on this one. Right. <laughs> uh, the problem is it is more than just not murdering somebody, right? It is about life. It's about, uh, caring for our our neighbors' physical needs. It's about uh, our attitude towards our neighbors. So you know, Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount teaches about this. You know, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh, Jesus teaches that if we hate our brother in our hearts. We've already committed murder. And mm. so it's easy for us to look at that and initially think, oh, I haven't had any problem with not murdering anybody. But then we got to think about, well, what, what does this commandment actually teach us? What are we commanded to be doing and not doing? And it deals with all physical aspects of life uh, and especially the life of our neighbor. And this is where uh, I love how you incorporated, you know, if you um, have been angry at someone, it's as if you murdered them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is an internal aspect where Jesus, I mean, Luther, let alone Jesus, does not allow us uh, to get away with this at any time. And there's a reality that maybe you, our listeners, maybe Pastor Mai and I have hurt someone in the past, you know, physically. And, and we act as if, well, since I didn't murder them, then therefore I didn't break this command. Mm-hmm. And then it goes up to the next level, like you said, in our heart, we've done this. And so one of my, uh, one of my real concerns with this 
is that we start explaining it away and say, well, you know, it didn't hurt him that bad. And, and that's very easy to do. Did God really say, it goes back to the garden, right? Did God really say X, X, and X? Other thoughts you have on how we try to wiggle our way through, away from this command. Yeah, we like to do this in general, don't we? We like to excuse our our actions and... You know, this goes all the way back to the garden, right? Well, it was the it was the woman's fault. It was the serpent's fault. That's right. You know? That's right. And so here, well, yeah, I, 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 it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, and, mm. and so we we minimize our sin. And the problem when we minimize our sin is then we minimize our savior. We minimize our need for a savior. We excuse sin in little ways, which leads to bigger ways down the road. And so. When we start to excuse sin and think, well, it's it's just a little sin, well, then that leads to another little sin and another little sin, and pretty soon you've got a whole heap of sins. And all sin is uh, breaking of God's law. All sin is unrighteousness, and uh, we can't excuse it. What we need to do rather is let the law do its work. Let it nail us to to the wall and and find us guilty where we are guilty and then confess that sin and and let Christ take that sin forgive that sin and teach us then what are we to do and how can we uh, more faithfully live as those who have been redeemed i do think the first part it can nail us to the wall like you said so we're thinking, okay, um, do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, which which brings us one to the neighbor. It instantly makes us think of the neighbor mm-hmm. um, very clearly. But then the second part makes it even more like if you're just nailed to the wall. When you get to the when you get to that last part, you're nailed like way up high on that wall because you're realizing you can't even touch the ground. I mean, you you are failing in this one in every single way. And then for me, I know that my explanation explaining this away really gets out of control. I mean, I'm ready to help in every physical need. Well, let me tell you why I can't do that. X, 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 and X, X, and X, and X, all the whole list. So what is Luther telling us at the end um, about the, okay, so he begins with the prohibition and then the prescription. This is from Dr. John Plass. I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> he's the one that gave it to me. But the second part of the prescription, boy, that, that nails me to the wall even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think it's easier, and this is this was the the issue with the Pharisees in a lot of ways, that they were really good at avoiding the overt, obvious breaking of a commandment. They they put up hedges, they put up extra rules to avoid breaking any of the, the laws, mm-hmm. but then they, in doing so, would actively fail to keep the law. So there is the you know, we, we are what we are not to do, but then there is also what we are to do. And so uh, the that that part of the law, even though we, we can talk about that as third use, and it really is, here is what you are to do. But then when you when you start to look at that and go, wow, and, and even that ends up in a lot of ways being second use of the law. It shows us our sin because you realize how you're not doing all of those things and how you have failed to do those things and and how even even with our best efforts we're going to continue to fail in in fully doing that which also doesn't excuse us 
not doing it, right? We can't just say, well, I can't do it, so I, I may as well not try. Uh, right. Rather, we pray to the Lord, you know, created me a, a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me so that I can seek to keep your laws. I can seek to love my neighbor as as the Lord has loved me. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's, I think, overwhelming at times for us because we can we can look at all of the needs and we can think there's no way I can meet all of those needs. And, and there, and there's truth in that. Uh, but I think what we, what we should do is we should start with our closest neighbor and that would be our, our family and work our way out from that and, and begin to seek to make sure that those needs of those closest to us and around us are being met. And little by little by little, uh, as Christians do that, it permeates through whole communities and through whole nations and then through the whole world. One of the great, I love quoting movies for such a time as this. <laughs> um, and it goes back to the movie Gran Torino with Clint Eastwood. Mm. And in that movie that he's, you know, he's from Detroit area, I think it's Detroit area. And he ends up basically living there and, and all these immigrants, Hmong immigrants are living all around. Right. And what happens is there's a young man that becomes indebted to him. I can't remember why exactly, but it was, he got, became indebted to him. I think he ran off some of the, the, that's the, right. The guys that's were right. bullying him. Right. Yeah. Right. So he was indebted to him. And first Clint Eastwood was trying to figure out what to do on his house, but then he looks around and you can just imagine Clint Eastwood. He looks around the neighborhood and goes, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he, and then he assigns this young man to help and fix the neighbor's you know, yeah. houses and homes. A lot of them are widows and they couldn't do things on their own. So there he was thinking of how, not only how can this help me, but but more so how can I help in every physical need for my neighbors? That's kind of an example that first came to mind when I was reading through this and studying for today of a visual of that. Do you have other ideas of how we can help and support someone in every physical need? Yeah, that's my uh, my favorite line from uh, from that movie, by the way, is, uh, everybody blames the Lutherans. So uh. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> How did you guys get here? The Lutherans. Everyone blames the Lutherans. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think anyways. I think sometimes uh, sometimes we have this attitude that ministry has to happen at the church, or or ministry mm. has to happen in some organized way that the church is is you know, sending you or something like that as a part of a group. And, and the reality is ministry largely happens throughout the week in your daily life. And it happens where you live and where you work and with the people that you are interacting with on a, on a normal everyday basis. And so looking around your neighborhood and seeing where, where can I serve? Where can I help? Uh, those are real ways that we can assist our neighbor. You don't, you can assist at a food pantry and it doesn't have to be a church run food pantry. It can be just any food pantry. You can, mm. uh, assist in, um, you know, helping your neighbor who is sick and needs somebody to go get groceries for them. And that is real ministry. That is the church at work and it's not labeled, I don't, Christian ministry necessarily under some category, uh, but it's exactly what we're given to do. And so the more we think about loving our neighbor and serving our neighbor as just who we are, 
rather than as some you know organized ministry that we are doing as a part of the the church i think the better off that we will be and and the more that our neighbor will be served because we're going to be doing it simply because well the lord has placed this person in my life in front of me i have an opportunity to serve them and so i'll take that opportunity and that's a great reminder for us because we do get caught up in as we, the, the lingo and culture is, this is my ministry. Right. So now I'm going to start this and then go through the church. And, you know, that, that's a very viable reality. I'm not saying, Pastor, I don't believe is saying this either, that, you know, if you start a food pantry in your church, that that's wrong. No, no, or no. Something along those lines. It could be very good. But it is, it doesn't have to be that way either. Correct. And so um, as long as we're grounded in the worship and receiving of the sacramental life, the baptized life, we are then serving our neighbor vocationally everywhere we go. And and that's really cool because there's so many opportunities that are right before us. You don't have to go searching for it because, like you said, it starts in the home, leads to the neighborhood like Clint Eastwood's neighbor, and then, and then goes out into our communities and world. And Pastor, tell us a little bit about how this comes true in the immigrant population because as you work with them, right. as you mentioned that right before this, yeah. there's physical needs that you're providing and trying to work with. Can you give us some ideas on what's happening there? Yeah, this is a big, a big need. So when somebody in the Somali community comes to faith in Christ, they lose their, uh, their, their standing in that community. They are isolated from others they are intentionally isolated. Sometimes they will lose their living space. Sometimes they will ha- have people that will uh, spread rumors about them and try to get them fired from their jobs. Uh, very quickly, it becomes difficult just to have the daily needs met, to be able to eat and have somewhere to live and to to be able to find somewhere that they might be able to work. Um, and, and oftentimes you're dealing with people then that are not proficient in English. So they're limited to being able to work in places where people speak the language that they speak. But if those people have said, now, if you come to faith in Christ, you can't be here, that's going to be real tough. Uh, So being able to come alongside and help with those physical needs and help to make sure that they have a, a place to live and make sure that they have food to eat and make sure that they can uh, get a, a, a job, uh, which they, and it's not that they don't want to work. They do. Uh, but, but sometimes it can be very, very difficult. And so we need to, to come alongside and help meet those needs. And, and one of the lamentations I've heard from um, a, a very trusted and loved pastor working in, in that situation is that a lot of times the uh, the Muslims do a better job of helping meet the physical needs than we have been doing as Christians. And that mm. is hurting our witness and that is hurting our ability to be able to have the, the gospel heard because they see the benefits, physical benefits of well if I if I stick with this, they're gonna take care of me. But if I go over here I might not have my needs met to be able to live. And so we need to make sure that we're coming along and, and helping uh, make sure that those, those people who are risking their lives for the sake of, of Christ uh, 
have those physical needs met. And this is another, another call to prayer for each one of us of how can we, well, see that in our own communities and really one, maybe working through the church, but also individually seeing how we can serve and to love as uh, well, the theology of mercy has been a major part of what we've talked about as a, a Missouri Synod for, boy, 20 plus years now. And that is just that understanding of mercy begins by knowing that Christ has died for all and there's salvation only in one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the triune God is is our savior. And we are grounded in that salvation, in that truth, and then therefore able to serve with freedom and with joy and with all of this because we know Christ has done it all. So it's a good reminder to all of you, our listeners, how can we extend this? And the fifth commandment, we, well, we got to repent and moving forward only in Christ's forgiveness and by the power of the Holy Spirit to therefore support in every physical need. Pastor, about 30 seconds or about a minute left before our break, your last thoughts on the fifth commandment and the call of the Christian. Yeah, there's a, there's a really nice quote from Luther in the large catechism on this. He writes, in the first place, we must harm no one, either with our hand or by deed. We must not use our tongue to instigate or counsel harm. We must neither use nor agree to use any means or methods by which another person may be injured. Finally, the heart must not be ill-disposed toward anyone or wish another person ill in anger and hatred. Uh, so really, we, we want to learn from this commandment is how to love our neighbor. Physically, how to love that neighbor, uh, to uh, have a, a good will towards them, and ultimately... <laughs> we realize very quickly that it is only possible when Christ gives us that new heart. So we got to keep going back to him again and again and again, receiving his forgiveness and then seeking to walk in his ways. Well, we'll talk more about this on the other side of our break. We are studying the fifth and sixth commandments in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Ben Meyer, and we'll be right back. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of living boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. studying the fifth and sixth commandments in Luther's small catechism with Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio. Now, Pastor, I think you ended, ended the fifth commandment beautifully because Luther points us to our heart and how we need to repent. He points us to our actions and shows us how we need to repent. But then he shows us the prescription of helping in every physical need. Now, what's the first thing we should do as Christians when we are like, okay, all right, you've given us some examples. This is going to be hard. What should be the first thing we do as Christians when considering fulfilling the fifth commandment? Well, I think we want to uh, start by by start with prayer. You know, mm. Go to the Lord and and ask that He would give us clarity. Uh, so we we go to His Word first, and we've heard His Word speak, and now we go to the Lord in prayer. And we, we ask that the Lord would help us to rightly uh, keep 
what he has given us to do. And then we seek to do it. That's the, I think that's one of the areas that we sometimes, uh, uh, we study something to death without doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was uh, the example I like to use with this is uh, in the Civil War, you had the, the Union Army and it was in disarray. And so Lincoln puts McClellan in charge of the Union Army and he whips them into shape. He drills them day after day after day. He gets them to be a, a finely tuned army. They are ready for battle, but he never brings them into battle. He continues to <laughs> wait and delay and he never actually engages. And I think that happens to us as Christians sometimes where we study and study and study and study. Well, when I, when I fully understand exactly what I'm to do, finally, then I will act. Well, no, God has given you what it, his word. You know what it says. Now go, go act, go do it, go seek to love your neighbor and when you fail in some way, when you sin in some way in, in seeking to do that, then you go back to Christ, you receive forgiveness, and you seek to do your best again. Uh, but you can't be inactive. You got to get out there and start doing. Well, let's uh, repent, uh, pray, go, well, go to his word, pray, and Lord, help us to act appropriately and in the sanctified life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm ready to get to the, well, I don't know if I'm ready, ready to go to the sixth commandment. Have you been delaying getting to this one? (laughs) Go to the sixth commandment. Are you ready, Pastor? Let's do it. All right. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. And husband and wife love and honor each other. Pastor, here's another very black and white commandment. We, you know, often we will say something along the lines of you can't necessarily know all the details, but you know it when you see it as far as the way we break this commandment. But it's pretty clear that no one can say I have fulfilled this in every single way. Where do you want to begin? Yeah. um, You know, in the again, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it was said You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, You can can deal at times with the external, but then we've got the internal on top of that. And that's where we struggle. That's that because the thoughts lead to the actions, of course. So uh, again, what we have to deal with first and foremost is, is our sinful hearts. And these commandments reveal to us the sin within our hearts and the, the lust that we have, the coveting of someone else that we might have, the impure thoughts that we have, uh, those are a result of having an impure heart. And so we have to go to the Lord and first and foremost, you know, confess our sin and receive that new heart and then ask that he would help us to live in holiness. Uh, this commandment, again, is one that the external keeping of it might be easier to do, or 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 we think it might be easier to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think, oh well, nope, I've I've never committed adultery by um, having sexual relations with somebody who's not my wife, and so you think, mm-hmm. well, I'm I'm good to go. But of course, 
it's more than that. It's our thoughts. It's our attitudes. It is um, how we relate to others. There's so many different levels to this. And this is why I love how you pointed out Jesus's words, because that really, I'm going to keep using this analogy, nails us to the, nails us to the wall where you even try to admit that, well, you know, like you said, I have not committed adultery with someone other, you know, I have not done something with someone other than my spouse, but it is clearly a major issue because it is very clear, but Paul's letters specifically, I'm thinking of first Corinthians where he's very explicit and he starts making a list. First Corinthians chapter six, um, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, goes down this whole list and says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right. So this, I mean, you go in a ton of Paul's letters. It's very clear. We see this problem in the Old Testament. So if you even tried to say that patriarchs seem to be more holy we got David sitting there right. and saying, oh, not so much. Yeah. So, Pastor, why is this such a struggle for humanity? Um, your first thoughts. Hmm. Well, I, it's such a struggle in part because, our again, our hearts are not right. Our hearts are, are not pure. Um, and, and that manifests itself in these you know, sexual sins. And so that that's part of it. Uh, part of it is... Again, we excuse. So, you know, you think of David and Bathsheba and David is sitting there and he has, he's not out with his army. First of all, he's not leading as God has given him to do at that point. He's sitting back mm. and relaxing and he's thinking, well, um, I'm, I'm, I've done all of this. I've earned this. I deserve this. And then he looks out and sees Bathsheba and he thinks I'm the king. I deserve her too. Uh, and so his sinful heart leads to that sinful action. Uh, you think about uh, Abraham and Abraham ends up um, having a, a child with Hagar. Hmm. Why? Because he didn't trust God's promise. He didn't trust God. And so he thought he needed to go around the way God had ordered things to be. And I, I think that's part of what gets us into trouble here is God has given us his way, but then we, we look around and we think, well, but what about this? What about this? What about this exception? Well, shouldn't I be allowed to do what I enjoy? Uh, and so we, we begin to rationalize. We begin to, um, reason we begin to uh, look at the world around us and we excuse our sinful actions and our sinful thoughts. And the temptations are absolutely everywhere in our culture today. Mm -hmm. I find this, and what we don't want to ever say is it's worse now than it's ever been as far as um, sinful actions per se. You just have to like I said, Corinth, I think, is a prime example. The more I've read on Corinth, the more I feel like, wow, we're back yeah. um, to Corinth yeah. in those days. But there's also an access issue that we have today where the temptations are at every moment of our lives. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's, that's a very real thing that uh, modesty and chastity is not valued in our American culture. We may give lip service to it, 
But then all you have to do is go to the mall. All you have to do is turn on the TV or, or go to the internet and just start looking around at innocent things and it will come to you. So you can't avoid it. Uh, it, it is uh, all around you. There are temptations all around you. And this is where we can shield ourselves to some degree. We can try to shelter our children and we should to some degree, but we also have to learn how to navigate it. You can't avoid it. You got to learn how to navigate it. You got to learn how to deal with it rather than avoidance. Avoidance is not a long-term strategy, right? It, It can't actually, you can't just say, well, I will just not interact with the world. Well, the world will come to you. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So at some level, in some way, you've got to learn how to interact with it. And part of that, I think, begins with training our minds for righteousness, uh, training our minds to think of the things that are good and right. And when we do that, then we can see those things that are that are not good and right for what they are and not see them as temptations, not see them as alluring, but see them for what they are, temptations to sin. Now, the words that Luther uses, which is clearly still relevant for us today, is to lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm fascinated because we focus on the doing part, like right. what our eyes are seeing, what our actions are. Mm-hmm as male and female, but he's talks about saying, do you have anything to say about that or say about that, about saying anyways, <laughs> that is a fascinating addition that I, I would say that I haven't really focused on as much as I should. So your first thoughts. Yeah. The way that we talk about these things matters. And, and so I think the, the one that you might come to mind in, you know, right off the bat would just be, you know, crude joking or crude conversation uh, about sexual things. But uh, I think in addition to that, you know, the sixth commandment is tied to marriage. It mm. is really tied to marriage. And so the way we talk about marriage matters. When I, I, I have very little patience anymore for the uh, stereotypical jokes about marriage because they denigrate marriage. And I, I don't think most of the people that are you know, doing that are intentionally denigrating marriage, but it has become such a, uh, so pervasive that it, the stereotype becomes how people think of it. And so we need to elevate the way we speak of marriage. We need to speak of marriage in, as, as beautiful and good and speak of our spouse in ways that are uh, beautiful and good. And, and not give in to the temptation to denigrate marriage and to joke about marriage in, in ways that demean it. Because marriage is tied right in with the sixth commandment. And it again, it's not just not breaking the commandment, but, but it's what does God give us to do with this commandment? And part of what God gives us in this commandment is to uphold marriage and to Esteem it as the gift that it is from him uh, rather than to diminish it. One of the, I love how you connected that to marriage, which we'll get to in the second portion of this command. But I'm I'm reminded of what we often will use in a wedding um, ceremony or a wedding worship service is speaking of Ephesians 5. Mm -hmm. 
where it says, you know, husbands love your wives, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to splendor in himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is where uh, the pastor that we went through marriage, uh, pre-marriage counseling, he spoke about this. Not only is this the way that, you know, God speaks of his church on account of Christ, but that you, Brady, should speak about your bride, not to like make up stuff, but to present her before other people as holy and that this marriage is a godly thing. And, to, and for, for Amy as well, my wife, to speak about the submission and the, the, the headship of Christ and then our relationship and to speak about that biblically. Um, as opposed to, like you said, maybe the old ball and chain right. or, um, you know, oh, marriage, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Just not uplifting it or the boss or what, you know, just yeah. language that is not uplifting to one another, which extends sexually, I would say, in the marriage as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So rather than, um, you know, well, I, yeah, I got to check with the boss or, um, you know, well, you're going to get married. Oh, well, your last days of freedom. Uh, you know, right. th- those are not helpful things. When we when we do speak of our spouse as as Christ g- gives us to do, yeah. And Ephesians five is a great place for that. You know that the the husband would love his wife, and that would be, you know, in in all that he does and how he speaks of her and how he interacts with her and how he speaks to others of her, um, and the that the wife would would honor her husband and to do so publicly, right? Uh, not, yeah, you see this on, on social media where, where somebody will bash their wife or bash their husband. And it is, it's awful. It's really, really awful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've sent, I've seen it in social settings and, you know, you can just see that sometimes the person is actually there and they just shrink back. Uh, and if they're not there, they still know that this is how they're being talked about. And, and do you think that's going to be beneficial to a marriage or harmful to a marriage? Well, obviously, obviously, this is going to be harmful to a marriage. Uh, but when we honor our spouse as a gift from God, when we view them through the lens of Ephesians 5 and what God has said about husband and wife, all of a sudden now we see the treasure that God has given us and we want to uh, speak well of them and to use our words in in praise of them uh, because we see them as God sees them. I want to extend this also with the with Luther's words on say and do. The same piece is how we speak about sexuality mm-hmm. that you know so a parent is scared to talk about sex even though, there really shouldn't be because as Christians, guess what? God is the creator of this <laughs> for the purpose of, of good things. Right. And this is why I think in our hymnal, the marriage rite that it begins with in the introduction is just pure gold. Mm-hmm. It talks about not to do all outside of, not to do with lust, mm-hmm. you know, but with purity and, and, and love for one another. And, and for us not to speak about sexuality as Christians and to some ways let the culture or our schools speak about it and have the authority is a breaking of this commandment too. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, I, I 
presented at the youth gathering over the summer and yeah, right. uh, mm-hmm. talking about deeply rooted baptismal identity. Uh, but one of, one of the things that came from a study that our youth ministry uh, did was uh, kids that continue on in the church are kids who have had active conversations about deep, important things. And where those conversations are avoided in the church and in the home, those children are more apt to leave the church because the assumption is the church doesn't have anything to say there. The church doesn't have Mm. an answer to those things. So we've got to talk about these things. And if you're a parent and you're not comfortable in doing that, well, guess what? Talk to your pastor. I bet your pastor has some good resources to share with you, some good ideas of, of how you can go about this and would be more than happy to have that conversation. You know, when we talk about this in confirmation, you know, I talk about these things in, in pretty stark ways because that's what God has given us to talk about. Uh, so we're going to present what God says very openly and very honestly. And we want the kids to be able to ask questions and to uh, be able to uh, I, uh, check what they're seeing in the culture against God's word so that they can see things for how they are. And it's not loving to avoid talking about these things. It is loving to talk about them in the way that God has given us to talk about them. And that, once again, as we spoke about the fifth commandment, it begins in looking at God's word, which is very clear that sexual activity and and lust, if you will, are to be within marriage of a husband and wife. It's very clear. Uh, we, we realize our own sin and our lack of speaking to these things in a sanctified and holy way, our thought, word, and deed. And then we pray, Lord, one, forgive me. And this is why you have your pastor, as, as, as Pastor Meyer said, to receive that forgiveness. You receive it on Sunday morning or whenever you have worship. And then, Lord, help me to live that, that holy life, which is, which is quite trying, I would say, in our culture, as we spoke briefly about um, about temptations that surround us every single moment. But the end of this, the prescription points us once again to marriage and husband and wife love and honor each other. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting because he doesn't say, therefore, you know, cut yourself off from the whole world because Luther knows what that gets you. Right. <laughs> Just right. cut yourself off. But he goes right back to marriage and encourages them to love and honor. What does that look like, Pastor? Yeah, so, yeah, you know, monasticism is not the answer, right? Just cutting ourselves off, but actually, actually, actively seeking to love your spouse. Uh, so, this is gonna—it's gonna look a little bit different for everybody, I think, uh, in in some ways, because it will depend on your your you know time in life, um, and when kids are around or if they're not around, but. Uh, ultimately, it looks like putting the other person first. It looks like thinking of the other person first. It looks like serving the other person before you serve yourself. And as we model that for our children, the children learn, here's what marriage looks like. Here's what we can aspire to. Here's the kind of spouse that I would want to have. And, and so we want to model that in the home, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our children because then they see uh, what marriage ought to look like. And we learn that from, again, Ephesians chapter five, 
that gives us a wonderful model for what it looks like. And, and husbands, love your wives. How has Christ loved the church? You know, husbands don't get off easy here. You get the, you got to live mm-hmm. up to Jesus here. <laughs> uh, but how did Jesus love the church? Selflessly. He gave himself for her and continues to do that even now. Well, wives, honor your husbands. You know, be submissive to your husbands. Well, that gets real easy when your husband is loving you as Christ loved the church. Uh, and, and so uh, when we do things in the order that God has given us to do them, in the way God has given us to do them, uh, there is great blessing in the home. And that blessing then extends uh, to the community, to our churches, and it, it has a great impact. And I love how it, it, it brings up husband and wife, not only for your own life, but those who are single mm-hmm. to live a chaste and pure life is not only their own um, lives, but uplifting marriage for those who are not married yeah. uh, to be able to uplift other people and their marriages and to support and to care for them, how they speak and how they live. Also, how they view the other person. It was very well said to me that um, before I was married, always know that that person that you are interacting with or that person that maybe you're dating or courting will one day more than likely be a spouse of either you or somebody else. Mm-hmm. So how would you want them to be treated? Yeah. <laughs> um, your future wife and specifically a, from a male perspective. And I thought that was very helpful that it didn't leave the single people out of it or people with other temptations out of it. It definitely is something that points us to uplifting the, the way that God has has laid everything out um, appropriately. Well, and, Pastor, other thoughts? Yeah, I think that's an important thing. I wanted to bring that in as well, the idea of singleness, that uh, I think in the church it is easy for us to overlook the importance of those who are unmarried. And not God has not given marriage to all. There are some uh, mm-hmm. that he has given to be single, and that's not lesser. That's their station in life. And so that needs to be upheld. Uh, and we need to make sure that we go out of go out of the, our way to make sure we're not only speaking to uh, married couples, but we're speaking to all, uh, because there are people that will never marry, and it's not uh, less than for them to have not married. It's simply what God has given them, and they're faithfully living out their vocations uh, as a single person. And that is a good and and God-pleasing thing for them to do. Uh, so they're going to encounter their own struggles, though, with that. Uh, so the, the idea of living a sexually pure and decent life in what you say and do doesn't only apply to you know, those who are married, but to those who are unmarried as well. Mm-hmm. And so those who are unmarried, we need to uh, walk alongside them, encourage them, and assist them as they're seeking to, to do this. Uh, which means uh, that we we need to engage those who are unmarried in the community of the church. Uh, I think it's often uh, we o- often overlook people like that, a- and maybe things as simple as inviting them over for dinner, uh, inviting them over for a holiday if they don't have family in the area, um, intentionally including them as uh, part of your life 
is a way that shows, yeah, you're 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 a part of this church as well, and then gives opportunity to assist them and encourage them as they seek to faithfully live out their callings and to uh, keep the sixth commandment in their station in life. The other part that's very prominent in our lives, it's very twofold that we hear about all the time. One of them is uh, the temptations of outside of biblical marriage, which would go into the realm of homosexuality and and other um, fornication. I think it probably would define it uh, that are clearly outside of God's will. At the same other time, that one that is kind of hidden in the darkness is pornography. Mm-hmm. That these two these two realities are right before us. And Pastor, what's your encouragement? We have about four minutes left in our time. Just kind of we we could talk about this oh, for yeah. the next hour and a half, and, and unfortunately, we are not able to. But, but Pastor, what's your your uh, your thoughts and encouragement to those who maybe are struggling with these things, pornography or right. temptations outside of biblical marriage yeah. in our life in Christ. Temptation in is is such a, a difficult one with that because it used to be that you had to go to a a store in a seedy part of town in order to seek these kinds of things out, and now it's on your phone wherever you are if you want it. It's at your computer any place. Uh, if you want it. And so it, it is so easily accessible. Um, I think one of the encouragements that I would have is to, to let, let you know that uh, you're not alone if you're struggling with this. It is, it's not something that you are alone in. Uh, there are others in your church that are struggling with it as well. And so we need to uh, make it clear uh, it is a sin like like other sins, and you can come and you can confess that sin and you can receive forgiveness for that sin. Uh, making time for private confession and absolution with your pastor is a great start for that. Um, but it, it's also something that you you might need encouragement. You might need assistance in breaking free from that sin. And so there are there are resources available to help with that. And, and your pastor, again, is probably going to be a good resource for helping you to find some of those. Uh, but don't, don't go through this alone. Don't think mm-hmm. that uh, there's too much shame to be able to confess it. Don't think that there is nobody that will understand. Uh, there are, there are plenty of people who understand, and there are plenty of resources available. And, uh, you know, Pastor Fenneran and I have had people come into our offices, hmm. confess sins that they, they were ashamed of, deeply ashamed of, that they never wanted anybody to know about. And oftentimes they thought, well, that, that'll be it. They won't have anything to do with me from this point forward. And that's just not true. It's just not true. You know, as pastors, what do we deal with? We deal with sin. We deal with sinners. And there is little that sh- surprises us um, after after a very short time of ministry. <laughs> it, it just Excellent. isn't surprising because we're all broken sinners. And so if you're coming in and you're confessing that sin, that's the right step. Because what it shows is I acknowledge my sin. I need Christ's forgiveness. And I want to do better. 
the final words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, as I mentioned before, he doesn't end with, by the way, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, which shows me two things. One, that there's forgiveness, clearly like you just said. And secondly, there were some of those who were in that temptation or that lifestyle and came out of it only by God's help. Yeah. Pastor, with less than a minute left, what are your uh, final thoughts and encouragement to our listeners in Christ? Yeah, so there is forgiveness. There is grace. And we give thanks to God for that. Um, you know, going back to the positive aspect of this commandment, uh, let, let's seek to uphold marriage, to speak of it positively, to live out our calling. If you're married, to... to Speak well of your spouse, to love your spouse well, uh, to publicly speak well of your spouse, uh, and to, to encourage those around us to do the same, because marriage is a gift from God, and, and sexuality, sex, sex itself is a gift from God that, spoken of rightly, uh, used rightly, is, is a tremendous blessing from God. Uh, so we give we give thanks to him, and we seek to use the gift that he has given us faithfully. Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio, clearly confessing Christ from the Ten Commandments. Pastor Meyer, thank you for being our guest. My pleasure. Good to be with you. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.